0: Welcome, everyone, to Open Casket Tales and Folklore Podcast. We hope you enjoy tonight's Halloween special. Our first story is called The Hillbilly Beast of Kentucky. While the Yeti huddles in the chilly corners of the Himalayas and Nessie dodges sonar beams and motor blades in Loch Ness, the pride of the South, the Hillbilly Beast, roams the cypress swamps of Kentucky unchecked. Between 8 and 10 feet tall, 800 pounds, and covered in luxurious carpet of foot-long, swamp-dampened hair, the Hillbilly Beast is a relatively straightforward match in the lineup of average Sasquatches. Yet the particular tenor of his brand is uniquely Southern. Droves of camo-clad coon hunters silent mushroom pickers and would-be late-night canoodlers gather on online forums to share their multi-sensory experiences with the beast with an apparent affinity for stealing hogs cats and scouring vegetable patches the gustatory enthusiasm of the hillbilly beast leaves no stone unturned some have escaped falling under the yellow-eyed leer of the beast and have only heard his trademark yowl echoing through the swamp While others claim that the beast is silent, only expressing territorial threats by hurling large stones into their paths or through warnings made by beating tree trunks with dead sticks. A smaller sect swears that the beast communicates with them through telepathy, though as is often the case, reliably recording such communication has proven difficult. Though many of today's stories tend to bear the mark of modernity, overturned vehicles and terrified television crews. One should not assume that the advent of the hillbilly bees' popularity is recent. Tales of the bees can be traced back to long before settlements as we know it arrived. The Cherokee people still share the stories passed down from their ancestors legends that describe a wizened, mythical man-like creature stalking the woods and imbued with supernatural powers. Later, settlers used the mysterious hill critters as scapegoats for disappearing livestock and as threats to intimidate particularly unruly children. Even Daniel Boone, noted fearless explorer and historian, was said to have encountered a run-in with a hair-covered bipedal, giant that chased him through the hills of Kentucky. Today, despite the increased sightings and technological preeminence of the modern world, the beast remains as enigmatic as it was to our forerunners, though some claim to have found remains ranging from oversized incisors to full-fledged skeletons. An intact and inanimate example of the beast has yet to surface beyond split-second nocturnal encounters with the less fortunate explorers of Kentucky Hills. Between the beast's elusive nature, camera shyness, obstinate refusal to pose, clear photographs and video recordings have also proven difficult to find. Despite these setbacks, however, the beast has continued to develop an ever-increasing body of lore that challenges any would-be monster to either side of the Mason-Dixon line, ensuring that as long as Kentucky has hills, There will always be legends of the hillbilly beast. Tonight's second story is called The Abandoned Factory. Four girls were walking home from a Halloween party in 2002. They were walking by an abandoned factory that stood next to a field. The factory was said to be haunted, and many people in the area refused to set foot inside the factory grounds. When they got to the middle of the field, One of the girls said it would be fun to explore the old factory. The other girls were scared at first, but eventually one of them agreed to do it just for fun so they could tell their friends at school about it. Two of the girls climbed over the fence and the other two girls waited outside for them. After about 20 minutes had passed, the two remaining girls started getting worried. Suddenly, they heard blood-curdling screams coming from inside the old factory. It sounded like their friends terrified the two girls ran all the way home. The two girls who went into the factory were never seen again. Today, the factory still stands. They say that if you dare to enter the grounds on Halloween night, then you too will vanish, never to be seen again. Our final story is called Elsewhere Kentucky. You won't find Elsewhere Kentucky on any map. The overgrown gravel road leading the abandoned settlement doesn't even connect to a main road. As with most places you shouldn't go, even the Google satellite images have been scrubbed with what looks like a bad use of a blur tool in an otherwise detailed area. It was located in southeastern Callaway County, just off the shore of Kentucky Lake. Elsewhere sat surrounded by forests. Until recently, several buildings remained. I'd heard stories about elsewhere growing up. Being a Callaway County native, I'd heard most of the local folklore and ghost stories. I'd spent several nights in Esbury and Old Salem cemeteries looking to verify stories of creepy ghosts and various monsters. The most I ever got was spooked friends and a bad case of the willies. I was volunteering at a senior citizen center when Earl, a man of about 80 years old, told me a story about the fall of elsewhere. It went like this. When I was a boy, my pa and I went to Elsewhere General's store to get some rock candy and chicken feed. I stood outside while Paul talked to Miss Ellison, the shopkeeper. Paul loaded the feed into the truck and handed me the candy. Right about then, there was this loud scream from the schoolhouse. I don't know right well what happened, because Paul told me to stay in the truck. But after that, we never went back to Elsewhere. When I was a few years older, I went back there with some friends. We were just dumb kids fooling around. My friend Jason went inside the schoolhouse, and I never saw him again. I spent the rest of the day looking for him, later the police did a search but found nothing. Shortly after that, the county disconnected elsewhere road from Highway 280. It's been about 60 years, and you're the first person to mention the place in half a century, son. I did some digging after that. The Callaway County Public Library has a pretty good archive of town history and folklore. I had read every book on the subject, but I'd never seen mention of Elsewhere. I ended up at the Waterfield Library up on the Murray State University campus, looking through old microfilm, when I found reference to Elsewhere in the Louisville Courier Journal. A single paragraph story covered how the unincorporated town... Was being abandoned for health and safety reasons. It was dated April 2nd, 1953. There was one detail that stood out. Located two miles north of New Concord, just off Highway 280. I waited until Saturday morning and I made sure to charge my cell phone before parking roughly two miles north of New Concord, just off the side of the road. I moved about 50 yards past the tree line hiked back and forth until I found the remnants of Elsewhere Road. I followed it northeast for about half a mile before coming to a clearing where several dilapidated buildings stood over the tall grass and broken pavement. I moved closer to the center of the town when I saw a sign to my left that read Elsewhere General Store. The windows were boarded up and the door was nailed shut, but after pulling at the boards for a few minutes, I was able to pry open the door. The wood was weathered and brittle. It popped right off, leaving the nails in place. I was surprised to see that the goods on the shelves had been left in place. Old canned goods sat rusted on old wooden shelves. An old-timey cash register sat on the counter to my left, and several burlap sacks lay tattered across the floor. I pressed a few keys on the old mechanical cash register and then pulled a lever to reveal several tarnished coins and some paper money. I had a sandwich in a Ziploc bag I'd brought for lunch, and I decided to have a sandwich before putting the old money in the bag and stuffing it in my backpack. I moved toward the back of the store when an unsuspected noise caused me to stand at attention. I caught the distinct sound of footsteps on the wooden porch of the general store. I turned around and peered out of the door only to see nothing. I called out, Hello, anyone there? was no response. I crept towards the door slowly with my hands out in front of me, just in case. I slowly peeked around each corner before verifying that no one was standing outside and then made my way back out to the street. I was sufficiently creeped out at that point. I decided to pack it in and come back later with friends. It was just about then that I heard a crack of thunder. The weather app on my phone said zero chance of rain, but lo and behold, the clouds overhead were moving in fast. I thought about hoofing it the half mile in the rain, but the rain came fast and not wanting to go back into the general store, I darted to the nearest building, an old house. The front door was unlocked and the door opened on the second pool. Standing in the parlor of this old house, I looked around at the old furniture dusty floors and decided to sit for a second on an old wooden chair that seemed sturdy enough. The storm raged outside and I could see water coming in from the ceiling. There were several old papers sitting on the coffee table in the living room and after a while I got up to go look at them. The yellowed papers were single page editions of an old periodical called the Elsewhere Gazette. The stories covered church events, pie recipes, and an advert for Elsewhere General Store. One of the papers in the stack bore the headline, Tragedy in the Schoolhouse. The article told the story of a hysterical schoolteacher who had poisoned the cake she had prepared for the students. The one surviving student ran out of the schoolhouse screaming when the woman tried to force him to eat some of the poisoned cake. It was dated August 12, 1936. Earl's story... Put him there nearly 20 years later. I was curious as to what would have happened some 20 years after the tragedy, but not entirely willing to continue investigating. When the rain let up a little, I trudged back towards my car. Around the time I got halfway down Elsewhere Road, the sky cleared up and the rain stopped. When I got back to 280, I marked the spot with a couple of fallen branches propped up against a tree and drove back into town. That night, I was sitting at Mary's kitchen nursing a cup of coffee, when Jerry came in and sat at the table adjacent to me. Jerry and I didn't talk much, but we would often find ourselves sitting there through the midnight hours drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. He tapped me on the shoulder and said, you look like you saw a ghost, kid. I shook my head and said, I didn't see one, but pretty sure I heard one. He got a confused look on his face. And I continued, I did some hiking out by elsewhere this morning. Jerry's face went pale, and he said, bullshit. I showed him a couple of the pictures on my phone, and he replied, see that building right there? He said, pointing at my phone. Don't go in that building ever. I replied, I take it, that's the schoolhouse. He nodded. I continued, what's the big deal about that place? Earl up at the senior center said he didn't know what happened. I found an old newspaper article about 20 years before Earl was there, but it didn't explain the scream he heard coming from it in the 50s. Jerry shook his head and said, Around here we don't talk about elsewhere in polite conversation. It ain't one of those things that needs discussing. But I can tell you're all curious, so I'll tell you, and then leave it be. I nodded. Jerry continued, I was born in 59, about 60 years after they abandoned the town. It was the 70s by the time I was a dumb teenager looking for a thrill. My buddy, Tom Blankenship, found pictures of Elsewhere in a book at the library saying the town was abandoned in a hurry. We drove his truck out there and found everything boarded up, save for the schoolhouse. Tom went inside the schoolhouse and I stood by the truck. You could still get to Elsewhere Road if you didn't mind driving over some saplings at that point. Gary lit a cigarette and took a drag before continuing. Tom let out this well like he'd been bit by a snake, and I rushed up to the schoolhouse expecting to see God knows what. The single-room schoolhouse was empty. I looked all over for Tom, but I couldn't find him. I ended up going to the cops, and that was when they told me about the ghost. Jerry took a long drag and stood up from his chair moved across from me. There was this somber look in his eye that told me everything I needed to know about Tom's fate. He said in a hushed tone, so the deputy tells me that every couple of years, some idiots go out there and goes in the schoolhouse only for nobody to see them again. Thing is, the county sheriff's department knows about the ghosts. He told me that back in the 50s, this kid came to school with a machete and hacked a couple of the kids up. The schoolteacher ran out screaming. They questioned the kid, and he said this pretty lady that stood outside the schoolhouse from time to time said it would send them to heaven. They ended up putting him under the jail. Jerry put out his cigarette and looked at me with a stern face. I don't know what happens to the people that go in that schoolhouse, and I don't want to know. Don't go back there. The county should demolish that place. Jerry left a $5 bill on his table and walked out. Despite his heartfelt story, I was even more curious about Elsewhere at that point. I paid for my coffee and headed out. By the following Saturday, I had been able to wrangle a friend to come with me back to Elsewhere. Katie was a college student who was obsessed with ghost hunting and abandoned towns. It wasn't very hard to rope her into coming along told her the stories as they had been passed down to me, and that was all it took for her to wake me up at 5 a.m. on Saturday morning with coffee and a camera ready for a hike. Katie and I strolled into town a little after 7 in the morning. The sky was bright, but the sun was still barely over the trees. We decided to open the doors to the schoolhouse and look inside. From a few feet back, I opened the door and shot back off of the stoop and back into the grass. It was dark inside and we couldn't make anything out. Katie produced a flashlight and shined it inside the doorway. I could make out a few upturned desks and a chalkboard in the back. We stood there for a bit when the sun crept over the trees and started heating up the morning dew resulting in a thick fog. I turned to my left for a moment to look back at the general store and Katie darted past me into the schoolhouse. I ran right behind her we both stood in the dilapidated building as I begged her to go back outside. She responded, I could have swore I saw a kid standing in here. I said, yeah, that's great. Spooky kids. First time I was here, it rained out of nowhere. Now it's fog. Let's go. Katie walked a few steps forward and let out a yelp as she fell through a hole in the floorboards to the cellar down below. I laid flat on the floor and reached my arm down for her to climb up. She grabbed my wrist and I grabbed her with my other hand and tried to roll back and pull her up. She wouldn't budge. I looked back down and saw this halfway transparent woman holding on to her legs and pulling her into the darkness. I pulled harder as Katie started screaming ghostly woman looked at me and smiled in the dim light of the morning shining from the door. Katie was pulled quickly into the darkness and in the struggle I was pulled down into the cellar. Katie's screams fell silent as I pulled a couple of glow sticks from my backpack and cracked them open. I tossed one in Katie's direction and one towards the other end of the room and brought up the flashlight app on my phone. Katie sat slumped against the wall on the far side of the room there were bones all over the room in various states of decay. walked over to Katie and checked her pulse at the neck. It was faint, but it was there. I turned towards the back of the room, and that is when I noticed a small silver light coming from two wooden cellar doors about twenty or so feet from me. I crept past the scattered bones and over to the cellar doors. I pushed at them, only to hear chains rattle side i pushed harder and kept banging at them until one of the hinges broke and soon after another i pushed the doors open and went back for katie and threw her over my shoulder as i was walking towards the opening to the outside i felt a sharp pain across my back i didn't look back i bolted for the light i tripped over one of the corpses and fell onto the ground my cell phone slid across the floor i looked back and the ghostly woman was almost on top of me I grabbed Katie by the wrist and took off for the stairs, leading to freedom, dragging the young co-ed behind me. Just as I crossed the threshold into the light, I felt a tug and looked back to see the woman holding Katie by the leg. I tugged and pulled and cursed and fought. This otherworldly voice came from the apparition saying, Let her go to heaven. I shot back, Go to hell. The woman's grip on Katie's loosened and I fell back onto the soft grass with Katie landing on top of me. I didn't wait around my fireman carried her back to my car and she came to about halfway through the ride to the police station in my report to the deputy i mentioned all the bodies i had found down there he would later tell me that they recovered 16 skeletons and one corpse that had only been there a few years county board voted to demolish the town shortly after. It was kept hush-hush. Elsewhere Road was tilled with a backhoe after the remaining buildings were bulldozed and the cellar of the schoolhouse filled with concrete. I went back out there one last time just to make sure it was gone and I didn't make it five feet toward the tree line before a deputy sheriff flashed his lights and told me to get back in my car. Katie won't talk to me anymore. Last I saw her, she pretended she hadn't seen me and scurried away. All of the things that I experienced in that town, I regret not grabbing my cell phone. I had some pretty decent pictures. There's no record of Elsewhere, Kentucky. Now there's nothing left of the town. I haven't been back from the way the county has been handling it. I don't think there is anything to go back to. But just in case, don't go to Elsewhere, Kentucky. That concludes tonight's Halloween special. We hope you enjoyed the stories and have a good night.